Every now and then you get questions that arise from a sense, a place of doubt. How do we know that our faith is true compared to all other faiths? Well, well, God hasn't given us an argument. He's given us a person. Two words change the world. Follow me, Jesus said. Now, if you, if you look at, at the faiths from east to west, if you look at east, you see, you see a, an impression of, uh, of, of God that is distant and abstract, impersonal. So east versus west, you see impersonal versus personal. And if you look at the big faiths of the west, of Islam and Judaism and Christianity, you, you see a contrast between law and grace. And so there's a clear argument. There, there are clear distinctives between east and west, between law and grace. But God has given us not an argument not a set of teachings. And all religious leaders, they, they, they point to their teachings. But Jesus says, follow me. He hasn't given us an argument. He's given us a person. And so over these weeks, we're looking at the impressions. Uh, uh, that, that, that tweaks the question. It doesn't say, is our faith true? But what is God really like? What's he like? Last week, we looked at the, the impression that Jesus gives us of God's authority. And today, we're going to be looking at Jesus' encounter with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and brought out into the public square. And we see the response of Jesus as he gives us an impression of God's compassion. From the Word of God, John chapter 8. Starting with verse 1. And they went each to his own house, but Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. Now that's just a little cue. That, that's code for Jesus spent some time by himself. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. 
one person who could do it didn't. Let's pray together. Father, we remember in the closing of this passage, your words, go and sin no more. Father, would we, would we be so much in your presence this morning, feeling a strong sense of your affection for us, that we would have the deep desire to go and sin no more. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There I was in downtown Atlanta, I was in a car, and I came up to a stoplight, and uh, my window was down. And here comes this, this uh, barrel and a trigger right into my, right past my window. And I had this reaction. I went, oh! <laughs> That's what, I guess, if anybody holds me up, now I know what I'm going to do. Huh? Very effective. Actually, in this case, it was effective because this was a squeegee guy. He was actually, he didn't have a gun. He had a water bottle, and he just wanted to clean my window, windshield. And I was so startled by it that I just went, oh, and I scared the bejeebers out of him, and he, he went, he, he kind of cowered back. He didn't know what, the, what, what I was going to do, and, and then I felt terrible about it. Here's a guy who just wanted to wash my windshield, and I've, I've scared him. But that's often our reaction when, when, uh, when people are doing things that, that we don't like. They get into our personal space. We don't always react. We, our natural reaction, our inborn human reaction of the flesh is not always what we would want it to be. We don't always respond to the people around us with compassion. And you say, well, you know, I don't want to respond with compassion because sometimes compassion, it's like giving somebody permission to do what they're doing, isn't it? I mean, does compassion really work to change people? Does compassion work to bring a change of life? Does compassion work to help people uh, stay in their lane or to mind their own business? Does compassion work to bring a change of heart? And I think what we'll see as we look deeper into this passage is the answer is yes, compassion works to change a life. It works because it helps us deal with two things, to deal with ourselves and to deal with the condition of ourselves. So first of all, when, when you're dealing with somebody and you want them to deal not with you but with themselves, compassion works to help the person deal with themselves. Compassion works to help the person face and deal with themselves instead of you, instead of whether or not what you're saying is fair, instead of uh, somebody else, instead of life in general. Compassion works to help people deal with themselves. I'll give you a quick practical example. Let's imagine, just imagine that there's, uh, you, you have a son or a daughter or somebody that you're, you're, you're trying to coach or hold accountable as a tutor or a friend. And, and, and let's just picture that you're a parent, though, for a minute. And you say, okay, to your son or daughter, you've got to get your homework done, uh, and then we're going to have a, a movie after dinner. And it's after dinner, and the homework didn't get done. 
And our, our reaction, our natural, you know, our natural reaction is, you know, shame on you, or I can't believe you did that, or I'm so disappointed in you. But what's more effective, and this is, is uh, a shameless plug for Ted Tripp, because we learned this through Ted Tripp, parenting, a, a, a shepherding a, a child's heart, is, is to be disappointed for the person and not in them. To say, you know, that, that's, that's just, I'm, I'm so disappointed for you. You're not going to be able to watch the movie with us. I, I wish you could. I really wish you could. But your choice not to do your homework was a choice not to watch the movie. And so with compassion, we remove, we, we depersonalize it between me and the child. And by the way, I did this, I mean, I did this perfectly well, 100% every time. It's like, yeah, right in the moment, it's like, yeah, now what would Ted Tripp say? What would, what would Ted Tripp do? I look at my wrist and see the initials. What would Ted Tripp do? Did it every time. But what it does is, is it removes you. It, it, it takes you out of the equation, and it makes that person deal with himself, deal with herself. Instead of your disappointment in them or their shame or your shame for them or, or whether or not that's even fair or right. Or is it, is, is, but but you're, you're handing the person over to themselves to go and deal with themselves. Now, the reason why I give you that vivid, practical example is this is exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is, is not here to bring grace in, uh, as opposed to the law. He, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, when he's on the Mount of Olives teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he says there's not one jot, not one tittle, not one little dot of an I or a cross of a T that will pass away from the law. And so Jesus bringing grace isn't saying instead of the law, he's fulfilling the law. And how's he trying to fulfill the law? He's trying to get deeper into the life of this woman who's, uh, as, as Johnny Lee said in, in 1970, looking for love in all the wrong places. And some of you will be humming that the rest of the week. You're welcome. You're welcome. I wonder, you know, there's been so much speculation what Jesus is doing is he's riding in the dust. And the reason why there's so much speculation is we don't know, all right? So anybody who comes up with a theory and says this is what it is. But, but, but we're in a season, I would just make this connection. We're in a season between, we call Lent. And it's a season between the ashes of Ash Wednesday and the dust of death on the cross. And I wonder if, if Jesus, in stooping down and bending down, he bends down twice. It makes an emphasis on Jesus bending down. How do I get the dust of this earth to have life again? How do we get these people to deal with themselves and not just with the law on the page? Not just to feel bad because I got caught, but to, to get to the heart. You say, well, Tim, that, that he's setting aside the, the consequences of law. Is he? He says, he who is without sin cast the first stone, and they, they walk away. Is, is he really dispensing with the consequences of this woman's sin? Is he overlooking it? Is he really? Or is he getting deeper into her heart and the condition of it? 
Is he getting her to deal with herself? You see, he, he's shielding his eyes. I don't know, maybe she's, maybe she's half naked. Maybe he's, he's just, maybe he's not wanting her even to deal with the shame that he would bring to her. He's wanting her to deal with the, all, the inborn shame that she has. We know when we're looking for love in the, all the wrong places. We know when we're out of line. We know that, that, that if, you know, in this, uh, what's called the hookup culture, we know that that doesn't bring deep satisfaction and fulfillment. We know it. You know, the Pew Foundation did a, a study just a few years ago. And you know that, that when, when they polled women, uh, after, after decades of, of, um, of being free from traditional culture, that would, would, uh, would put a, a man and a woman together for a lifetime. After seeking freedom from that, the Pew Foundation surveyed women to ask them, How, are you looking for a long-term relationship or are you looking for serial monogamy, as they say? And in the course of five years, in the course of five years, Women who desired a long-term relationship, the percentage went from 27 to 39%. That is a 30% increase in just five years. You begin to see the generation that, that is bearing the fruit of the distance from our design. Bearing the fruit of the distance from our design. Of, of doing life on our own terms and, and, and wanting uh, freedom according to my own whims. We know when that doesn't match up with our design. We know when we're out of line with God's best for us. We know it. Jesus doesn't have to wag his finger, so he takes it and he just kind of rubs it in the dust and lets this woman deal with herself. It's powerful. Powerful to let someone deal with themselves. Compassion does that. rather than shame, rather than judgment, rather than heaping it on and grinding people down. Compassion and empathy, getting into their moment and finding out what are they really dealing with. Because Jesus knows he's not removing the law. Here's the reason. He knows that she's feeling empty inside. He knows that when we break God's law, it's not so much that we break God's law, but we break ourselves on God's law. He knows that. And so not one jot, not one tittle, not one cross of the T or one eye of the law passes away in that moment as he brings the compassion and grace of a deeper law that would have us deal with ourselves. That's the first reason why compassion works. Because as Romans 1 says, it's built into us. We're without excuse. We know when we're lined up. We have a conscience. We know how we're designed. We have natural consequences of being out of line with God's best, built in, baked into us. Compassion works to help us deal with ourselves. Compassion also works to help us deal with our condition. Compassion helps us deal not just with the the surface, I got caught, the behaviors, the, the gospel of sin management, as uh, Dallas Willard says, 
but it helps get to the heart. Compassion helps us deal with ourselves, but also deal with the condition that gives rise to those behaviors, that gives rise to the, the, those misalignments that, that, that where, where the human machine is just out of whack and, and out of gear. There's a condition. But see, what's happening here is that the scribes and the Pharisees, as, you know, they're, they're our whipping boys. We're often beating up on the poor scribes and Pharisees. But once again here, they're opting for, um, they're, they're interested in, in more golden eggs rather than the goose that lays the golden egg. You remember that the parable of the, uh, the, the goose that laid the golden egg? And, and someone says, well, well gosh, if, if that goose can lay the golden egg, well, let's, let's kill it and open it up and see how many more golden eggs are inside instead of nurturing that goose that lays the golden egg. Again, this is an analogy to, to, uh, to parenting. Uh, instead of just going for the behaviors, are you parenting for the heart? Do you want just the golden egg? Do you want the, 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 the room made, the, the room uh, cleaned up and the bed made? Or do you want the, the, the desire of obedience? Do you want the desire of order versus chaos? Do you want the desire of someone who's taking ownership of their life? That's the goose rather than just the clean room. And see, Jesus is going for the goose. He's going for the heart, not just the hands. Not just the behaviors, not just the surface. He's going for the heart. And he does that through compassion. You see, we only have a, a couple of options when we're dealing with this misalignment of, of, of human nature. We only have a couple of options. This woman standing there, in that moment, surely she, she, she felt herself to be an object of contempt, right? And so when we're misaligned, when we're out of line with our design, we feel, those, we feel the, the crowd you know, leering at us. We, 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 we feel them. We, we notice the grip of their stones and, and them leaning towards us. We feel as though we're objects of contempt when we're out of line. And so what we tend to do is, is instead of, of, of staying in that place where we feel contempt, we dismiss it and we distract ourselves and we think of ourselves as objects of praise. And we try to make life work for us apart from God. And we write our own rules. And we say, you know, I, I need to go with my heart, right? I need to, uh, I need to actualize my, my humanity. I need to find what's the, the deepest feelings in me, and I need to act on them, and I need to express myself, right? Reminds me of a great song, but I'm not going to sing. Express yourself. But that's, a, that's exactly what we want to do. We think, I don't want to be an object of contempt. I want to express myself, right? And this is what we deal with over and over again. And if you look in uh, and around you, if you look at, at youth culture today, if you look at the university system, we've actually institutionalized this, this attitude and idea of the heart that, that what makes for a full, complete, actualized human life is self-expression. And so we bounce between these two poles of, of self-contempt and self-expression. And what's Jesus doing with this compassionate moment? What's he doing with this compassionate moment? As this woman, can you picture it? Can you, can you put yourself there where this woman is standing there? 
And she begins to hear thud, thud, thud. One rock after another, starting with the oldest. I love that. I love that part of the passage. It says, beginning with the oldest ones, right? Let the ones who are without sin cast the first stone. And the oldest ones are the first to realize, oh, I see. Thud, thud, thud. Those rocks of judgment just dripping to the ground. And here she is thinking to herself and hearing these thuds and finding herself in company with people who share a common condition of brokenness. But juxtaposed to that moment of brokenness is this compassion. And just for a moment, there's an openness to it. And rather than being an object of contempt or being an, an object of my own praise and self-expression, just for a moment, there's an openness to grace where the woman can be what she was created to be, and that is an object of his affection. An object of his affection. That's you. Are you there? Are you living there as an object? of his affection. Let me illustrate this for a minute. There's a, a, a guy named Timothy Paul Jones who's an author and he writes a story about his eight-year-old who he adopted when she was seven. And uh, this young girl had been promised a trip to Disney by a couple, but, well, by a couple who had uh, other children. And they uh, went to Disney repeatedly, but amazingly, sadly, left their foster child with someone else while they took their children without her to Disney World. <coughs> now here she is in this adopted family, in Timothy Paul Jones's family. And as they, get, as they plan their trip to Disney and as they get closer, her behavior gets worse and worse and worse. And, and he's beginning to connect the dots. She's had this experience and, and she's probably thinking that she's not going to go and he keeps promising her and promising her. And he, th then they, they, they leave and they go and they're on their way and he's thinking, surely the behavior will get better. And even during the time that, that they, they begin to get ready to go into the park, she's still acting out and still acting out. And then at the end of the day, uh, after a day of, of misbehavior, she comes and sits on his lap, and she said, you took me. And he said, that's right. Do you know why you got to go to Disney? And she said, yes. It wasn't because I was good, but it's, be but it's because I'm yours. It's not because we're good. That grace grips us. You see, everybody gets grace. But grace doesn't get everybody. Everybody understands and resonates with the, the powerful message of grace. And we understand that that's the unique contribution that Christianity makes to the world. But, but it's more than that. God is in the person of Jesus Christ giving us a strong impression of what his heart really is about. He has deep affection for those who belong. 
has grace gotten you? The compassion of God works on us to open up just that, 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 that pinhole of opportunity for grace to get in and to get us. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for this meal before us. And we thank you that these objects on the table represent objects of contempt. The contempt that we have had for your life. But they also represent an impression, a picture of compassion. For you are equal to our need in taking upon us the contempt of our deepest condition of brokenness. And so we pray now that you would transform these common elements from their everyday use to a sacred purpose. That as we receive this bread and this cup, we might experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.